For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you need for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. Welcome to Bet the Edge. I'm Jay Croucher here with Drew Dinsick, recording immediately after San Francisco Detroit. Heart rate still kind of jacked. Um, that was the most uh, the drunkest, most insane game I can recall. I can't remember a team getting as many lucky breaks in as rapid succession and a small window of time as the Niners got there in that third quarter. But they win, they scrape it out, uh, and they don't cover. Um, after Jameson Williams pulls in the touchdown at the end. Uh, what did you make of it, Drew? Is there anything to make of it? Man, this is tough. <laughs> I was so over the Niners at halftime, I can barely even believe it. Um, it was such a phenomenally unimpressive first half from them in every phase of the game that the fact that they rallied to victory should feel, um, you know, should feel powerful, should feel... Uh, emotionally fulfilling, um, but the uh, the backdoor cover by the Lions took a lot of that away. Why the Lions played the final moments the way that they did, considering they needed two scores, is also a weird question. Um, and ultimately, it was uh, kind of a mess of the end of the game there. Um, yeah, if if, uh, if if the Niners had just knocked down that fourth down pass, and it's not, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a 10-point game instead of a three-point game. I'm sure my mood would be quite different, but um, uh, ultimately didn't really hit anything on a uh, championship Sunday of consequence from a betting standpoint. Um, thought there would be more points in Baltimore. Thought that uh, Niners would have an easier go of it. Ultimately, Kansas City, San Francisco is what I would have predicted for you for uh, you know, a championship game, and I softened on Kansas City because the market was so uh, nuclear hot on Baltimore. I feel stupid for that. Um, and uh, yeah, now here we sit with uh, two weeks to go, and we get a rematch of a really, really good Super Bowl from a handful of years ago and a, a lot of angles uh, to cover. But um, I guess if you made me have one takeaway from today, second half of the NFC Championship game, Brock Purdy was on the ropes. And there are a lot of people that do not believe that Brock Purdy is an NFL top tier caliber quarterback. And he was phenomenal. He was phenomenal. And not just his passing in like his, but his decision-making, his decision-making to scramble. Like he literally was like, this is what's available. I will choose this. And it was the correct decision every single time. 
in the second half. And people will be like, game manager. Like people will find reasons to like kick dirt on Brock Purdy. But like at the end of the day, like Kyle Shanahan called a lousy game, especially in that first half. He was literally holding the Niners back with some of the decision making with how he called that thing. And I felt like Brock Purdy literally put the Niners on his back and carried them in the second half with some of his, uh, you know, high leverage moments. And if you're, if you have a quarterback that can perform that well in high leverage, you know, last time I remember a guy that was drafted at the end of the draft who was able to perform that well in high leverage moments. His name was Tom Brady. And if you're telling me that this is the next incarnation, I'm here for it. Like this feels very possible that Brock Purdy is going to, ultimately like seize the uh, uh the mantle of a guy that is just capable of the impossible and everybody looks at his talent and skill set and says no he can't do it and then he just does it anyway like i i felt that way after this game and i'm very very impressed with brock uh and his performance in the second half of this one against detroit and um you know i i, I don't know maybe maybe uh, I'm looking past the fact that this was extremely fluky and that if Brandon Ayuk doesn't catch a pass off of the face mask of a defender who had a pick, then none of this happens. Like that's very possible. Um, but ultimately, like I I'm, I'm I come away from this game uh, with a a, a a significant degree of appreciation for Brock Purdy. And uh, it's hard to win at this level when there's only these, these few teams remaining and the stakes are this high. And uh, the fact that he came back from certain death, like guaranteed death, everybody assumed it was over. There were markets open for Detroit, Kansas city, super bowl. And uh, he wrestled uh, victory from the jaws of defeat are it's very impressive. And it must be recognized. And congratulations to Brock Purdy and the Niners for giving you. Yeah, I think that, I mean, he was 0.33 EPA per play. That's MVP level stuff, 2.5% completion percentage over expected. I think he's a weird quarterback because it seems repeatedly in these big games that he's rattled to start the game, but then not rattled at all at the end of it. Because uh, I thought he was pretty terrible in that first quarter where he's sailing passes high. Now, the pick was, uh, I mean, he was hit as he threw it, but he shouldn't have been standing in the pocket that long. He should have felt the pressure. And the only real negative, the only real bad play that he had in that second half was taking that sack um, that got them into second and 17, where they had to kick the field goal. But, yeah, between the scrambling, between getting the ball out on time, um, making all his reads, he was, I think, overall pretty impressive. My, My biggest takeaway from the day, though, is just how insanely bad the Niners defense looked really the whole oh my game. God. I mean, you look at the players on the defense and they're it's just it's loaded with stars. These guys, the names on the D de- like Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw, Traverius Ward. Like how is this defense so bad where two weeks in a row I mean, the Packers moved the ball at will and they lost because they scored three points on three red zone trips. Uh, Detroit lost because they went 0 for 2 on those pivotal fourth downs um, and then had just insane luck go against them. But, I mean, this defense, now they get two weeks and they go up against Mahomes. Uh, do you think that this defense is fixable? Because quietly it wasn't great to, in the back half of the season either. 
but it feels like there should be the personnel there. And Steve Wilkes, much maligned, um, probably fairly so. Now, he did have an excellent fourth down disguise, which may have won them the game, really, by having Dre Greenlaw line up in a way where it looked like it was man coverage and then he drops and it's actually zone coverage. Then Goff freaks out and has nothing to do and they get stopped. But it just felt like they had zero answer whatsoever. Yeah, I mean... That 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 singular play, play you pointed out, I saw it too. <laughs> if that's repeatable, then okay. <laughs> it doesn't feel repeatable. Yeah. It, it doesn't feel repeatable. I don't know, man. The first half was so bad. It was so bad. They got pushed off the line of scrimmage so aggressively. The tackling was so poor. We, I, you know, I was joking at halftime, like if we found out that the entire team had the flu. I would not have been surprised. They could, the defense was so, so out of their element. It was very, very hard to wrap my head around. And then it was like a different unit in the second half. I don't want to be especially critical of the Lions in the second half and some of their decision-making because ultimately they were themselves. Like, they, you know, the fumble um, from uh, Gibbs was a little fluky, and that was kind of where we're... That, that's, ultimately, that's what we're saying. Like, the... Um, you know, the touchdown that preceded it had a couple had the specific play uh, that was uh, fluky, which was a Brock Purdy pass, um, you know, for 51 yards that was ultimately should have probably been an interception, but well, ended up as a, a completion. Uh, and then they followed that up with a, uh, uh, you know, a strip and recovery that was fluky. And those two plays swung this game into their favor. And as the home team, they seized on the momentum and the rest is history. Um, the defense was unable to generate consistent pressure with their front four. The defense was unable to, uh, you know, kind of meet the challenge of the rushing attack of the Lions throughout the game. Even in, you know, even beyond the, uh, you know, kind of turning of the tide, they were still, uh, you know, Lions marched on them. Uh, so I, I have a very tough time thinking that the Niners defense all of a sudden in two weeks like flips a switch and they're dynamic and they're stopping Pat Mahomes and company. Like this is a very, very tough unit to buy into right now. Um, that said, the uh, the offense is amazing and I think they match up well against the Kansas City Chiefs. And so it kind of does come down to game state, some fluky stuff. And honestly, the Super Bowl is probably a coin flip. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the line's already, I mean, it opened at two and a half backed Niners. Now it's already trending down towards one and a half some spots. And I can all, like the next two weeks, if you ask just people in the general public, football fans, I guarantee that 95% of people are going to say that the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl after right. what they saw uh, the past two weeks, really. And like I get it because Mahomes is better than Purdy and they had a more impressive victory going on the road to Baltimore as opposed to having to come back from 17 points when you're effectively a seven-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Detroit. But like this Niners team is still insanely good. The offense, for all the sins of the defense, I mean, the offense was lights out as it always is, um, just about. And I think that with a lot of just kind of one's perception of an NFL defense. It just depends on how effective the pass rush is at getting home and how much that not working exposes your secondary. And I think that is something where 
all of a sudden the Niners, who looked horrific today, now they're going to go up against the Kansas City offensive line, just which isn't as good as Detroit's. It's not like it's a glaring weakness, but apparently Joe Tooney's not like he's he's in doubt to yeah. play in the Super Bowl. So I mean, and the tackles aren't great um, to begin with, and now they lose a key guy on their interior, and I just think that. Bosa, Armstead, Chase Young, those guys are going to look better uh, against the Chiefs' offensive line. The Chiefs aren't going to get that kind of push in the run game the way that Detroit did today, and that has so many ripple effects um, onto the back end. Also think that the Lions will have – I mean, sorry, the Niners will have some answers for Kelsey just in terms of – these linebackers against Kelsey, I don't think that's going to be a spot that gets picked at in a way that, I mean, surprisingly, uh, he was incredible against Baltimore. But, yeah, I just wouldn't – like, I think people are going to be talking about this as though the Chiefs should be six-point favorites. And, like, there's a reason – like, the, there was a reason the Niners were six-and-a-half-point favorites home to Baltimore um, a couple of weeks ago. But And also, the, the other thing, too, is that, like, everyone is going to come out of that Ravens-Chiefs game – glorifying Mahomes as they should. He was excellent. But, I mean, there was a – I think there was an eight-drive stretch for the Chiefs where they got seven first downs. Like, they couldn't do anything in the second half on offense. Uh, And I think that that doesn't bode particularly well for the idea that this Chiefs offense in the playoffs is just an absolute juggernaut because they look that way against the Dolphins' defense that had no pass rushes, against the Bills' defense that was missing half of its personnel, and then they were excellent against the Ravens for a half and then did nothing for a half effectively until MVS makes that catch at the end. But uh, let's shift quickly to Chiefs-Ravens. Anything you wanted to add on that one before we talk about the Super Bowl line? No, I think you know the Chiefs were extremely, extremely lucky to win. (laughs) Mahomes made some phenomenal plays, and he's Mahomes. You count on that at this point in his career. Um, and the Ravens could not answer. Um, I guess, like ultimately, um, the fact that that if there was one broad injustice of championship weekend in the NFL, it's that the Ravens didn't score in the second half. Like that team was dynamic they were moving the ball pretty aggressively on the chiefs they uh had multiple opportunities to punch it in obviously the zay flowers fumble into the end zone was like kind of the key play of the game in hindsight um but uh, the lamar jackson interception in the end zone as he was targeting a triple covered likely was a little bit of a head scratcher um and uh, ultimately um yeah the ravens i feel like uh had the juice to get themselves back in just didn't work out. So, um, you know, people may take away from that more about the Chiefs than they ought to, uh, and that would present some value on the Niners, I suppose. Um, but uh, the disparity between quarterbacks in the Super Bowl is going to be tough to square. Yeah, it will be. And out of that game, my other big takeaway was that everyone is focusing on the fact that the Ravens, who had the best rushing offense, in the NFL all season statistically, and they go up against the Chiefs' run defense, which actually statistically is worse than San Francisco's. Uh, and the Ravens' running backs only get six combined carries the entire game. My bigger takeaway is that the fact that the Chiefs ran the ball 32 times and averaged 2.8 yards per carry, like for all the questioning of Shanahan's play calling out of this game, like I don't think Andy Reid and the offense really covered themselves in glory in that second half where they were just content to 
run out the clock. And yes, they got the win, but I mean, if Zay Flowers doesn't uh, have, pro- I mean, probably if he doesn't have two brain fades between the taunting, which was glaringly obvious, and then the fumble, which was a horrific play to expose yourself to that when you don't need the touchdown on that play. Um, I mean, if that if that's a touchdown instead, then and Lamar doesn't force the the pick, which I don't, he probably doesn't if they don't need it. And then all of a sudden, like you're looking at a Ravens, they might have just won the game if not for that Zay Palauva's play. So a bit of a disaster um, all around. But the Chiefs offense, I mean, I came out of that game thinking that Mahomes is exactly, you know, what everyone thinks he is, what we all think he is, but that that offense isn't isn't entirely fixed. No, without question, it's not fixed. <laughs> it cannot be assumed that it is fixed, and especially from that performance. Like, um, they had one good quarter. They had one good quarter where they moved the ball well against that Ravens defense, and then the rest of it felt very laborious. And, you know, the, the drive at the end of the first half, which could have ultimately been, like, the clinching drive, because if you give Pat Mahomes a 14-point lead, it is very, very tough to overcome that because he can matriculate. He can take time off the clock. It is very tough to come back on a player uh, when you have a two-score deficit uh, of that caliber. Um, and so the you know ultimately like it was a little bit of the early lapses i felt like from the ravens defense where they were a little bit it felt like they were shocked or surprised that the chiefs were willing or interested in being physical and running right like it was the it was the successful runs from pacheco in the first quarter that i thought really set the tone much more than what mahomes was doing mahomes was incredible in terms of his accuracy and his decision making as he always is um, but, uh, yeah, I think if the Ravens had a do-over, uh, they, they would definitely, uh, uh, play more like we saw in quarters two through four defensively. Um, and yeah, you know, the, the turnovers in particularly in the red zone were unbelievable. And like, when you say it out loud, the Ravens were relying on a rookie wide receiver to be their, their, their specific like a differentiator in a game of the magnitude of the AFC championship game. It doesn't sound good, right? You don't want to rely on a rookie in those moments and Zay flower doing rookie stuff. is kind of what happens. Like that's kind of the way it goes. Even if he is a generationally awesome wide receiver as a rookie, like that's just the way it goes. And so, um, you know, I think, Ultimately, I'm 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 kicking myself for not kind of realizing that like the Ravens were a little bit more shaky, a little bit more questionable in comeback mode than they ultimately than I thought they were. Like, like if you could drop me in halftime and been like, hey, uh, you know, exact how exactly are the Ravens throwing their way back into this game? They're gonna they're gonna target Zay Flowers in the red zone. He's he's gonna make plays. Okay, good luck. Like I I, I feel like I, I I should have could have uh, seen a little bit of uh, of that uh, uncertainty coming, uh, and I think that really did play into the hands of the Kansas City Chiefs. That said, the Chiefs were at a huge rest disadvantage in this game. They had traveled two weeks in a row. They played an enormous amount of minutes on defense against the Buffalo Bills, and then backed it up with really, really solid defensive play in the first half of this game against the Baltimore Ravens. And if they get two weeks to regroup and recover, are they going to be able to show up against the, you know, the, uh, the 49ers and all of their weapons? Sure. Why not? 
Like realistically, this is a huge step up in competition now for the Niners in terms of going up against this Lions defense and going against the full strength uh, Chiefs defense. So um, there are a million angles to really try to deconstruct for the Super Bowl matchup, and um, this is going to be this is going to be an all timer, I think. I, the, realistically, like there are uh, phenomenal ways into this game, both side and total, that we're going to get to. But uh, we have a lot of work to do. Indeed. Yeah, I think the other main thing from Ravens Chiefs is just that Lamar just didn't play well at all. Like he was 20 or 37, negative EPA, negative completion percentage over expected. He kept on, and I thought Romo did a good job on the broadcast of being like, he's overthrowing these deep sideline shots when you should be skewing towards underthrowing them because if you underthrow them, then you have the chance of pass interference. And there are a couple... Um, of those plays, which were costly. He just wasn't good. He looked rattled. He looked, he didn't seem like he had it. I don't know what, thought he had more opportunity to scramble. Um, and it just didn't click at all. Anyway, their season is done. When, uh, we'll get to the Super Bowl in a sec, but first, it's a double dip of Big Ten basketball on Tuesday that can only be streamed on Peacock, Illinois. And Ohio State tip things off at 6.30 p.m. Eastern as each team looks to boost their big dance resume. Then at 9 p.m., another chapter of an in-state rivalry will be written when upset-minded Michigan takes on Michigan State in East Lansing. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you do for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. Okay, this Super Bowl line's down to one and a half. Nine is favored pretty much across the board now. The total is 47 and a half. Uh, Any... Big initial takeaway. Do you think that this is where the line will end up? I mean, this is effectively a coin flip game, so whether it's one and a half, pick one, doesn't really matter a great deal. I agree with you. It doesn't really matter a great deal. In fact, you could probably go across. I mean, you, you want the best price. Like, don't don't take don't take this as flippant. Get a good price. If you're going to bet the Super Bowl, don't just bet into a market independent of price, please. But uh, I could see this closing Chiefs favored. I could not see this closing Niners three. What's your opinion? Yeah, it's not going to be Niners three. I think that typically the early steam on the Super Bowl line generally turns out to be prescient. Think back to Rams-Pats, which I think opened at Rams' favorite and then flipped to Pats minus two in like 30 minutes and then just stayed there. I can't remember if it was two or two and a half Pats, but just stayed there until the day of the Super Bowl. Like basically did not move after the first 30 minutes or so. So I suspect, yeah, whether it's one and a half, one pick, I think that this is what the line is very likely going to be. 
probably Niners favoured and certainly less than a field goal. I think in terms of injury stuff, probably not a great deal on the Niners side. Um, and then a little bit more concern on the Chiefs side. But for the most part, I mean, these are pretty two pretty known commodities. And I think that people are going to focus a lot on how good the Chiefs defense was against Baltimore. This Niners offense is in a different tier to Baltimore's. And I think more about how good the Bills looked against the Chiefs defense and how they moved the ball almost at will and just how different that game would have looked statistically if just Sherfield comes down with those two balls and Stefan Diggs comes down with his ball and then all of a sudden it's an offensive explosion. And even with those two drops, Josh Allen had, um, in terms of his dropbacks, he had MVP level efficiency. And then on the ground, they basically did whatever they wanted. So I think that the Niners offense is going to give Kansas City a lot more troubles than Baltimore's offense did. But uh, what do you think? It's interesting, interesting points you're making. <laughs> you're coming at this from a totally different angle than I was going to, which is already making me interested. Like I, we, I think we got we got a good we got a good Super Bowl, is what it comes down to. There's a lot of ways to pick this apart. Um, my initial reaction in terms of looking at these teams' strengths and just and and this is colored by seeing what we just saw. Um, I also hearkened to Rams Patriots because you had a huge disparity in that game between uh, experience between the quarterbacks and you, you know, hey hey Belichick and and in uh, with your defensive weapons I I dare you to shut down the unstoppable uh, Rams offense well yeah they shut them down well like it was actually not hard uh, and I think there's definitely scope for Spagnuolo with what he's got going now uh, to be absolutely diabolical defensively against this Niners offense. Uh, and if the Niners are stubbing their toes consistently in this one, um, does that make it easier for Pat Mahomes and company to get to 20 points, which is all they need to do to win the Super Bowl? Sure. So current lean would be under Chiefs, but there are 9 million ways to really break this particular handicap down. Uh, to try to figure out how uh, how this ultimately breaks. I don't think that we got any signal from Kyle Shanahan that he has turned the page and is now a more aggressive quarterback. I mean, excuse me, a more aggressive coach in terms of in-game decision-making. Like, he still made some decisions in the game against the Lions that I was like, all right, man, like, you're coaching a different game than the one I'm watching. Um, so I think there's, there's definitely a possibility that he is a little bit still tacks into his you know less plus EV tendencies when it comes to in-game calls. Um, and that might be the difference. But, uh, you know, Kelsey is obviously a different player now than he was during the majority of the regular season. Mahomes has a different level in playoff and Super Bowl contention than he does in the regular season. And so I think you have to look hard at how you are pricing the Chiefs, particularly their offense, uh, as you come up with a fair for this game. Uh, and I think, um, you know, ultimately, again, price is everything. And if we get the sense that this is going to flip to uh, Chiefs' favorites, I'll probably just going to lock in Chiefs plus money and then uh, enjoy the, the two-week run-up uh, because ultimately, like, there's there's not enough uncertainty in this game to say that there's, like, a huge, huge, huge betting angle, I don't think. 
Yeah, I mean, the, that's the thing is that certainly in terms of the line and total, um, this is just about the most liquid event in the world. So <laughs> as we get, uh, and also it's another event too where like limits are big from the start, like super bold. It's not like we need to wait until Thursday for the, the market to really find efficiency through liquidity. Um, but, and look, we'll have a lot of time to talk about the game, talk about, the main markets and prop markets and everything. We, will, the two of us, will be in Vegas uh, on Radio Row all week, leading leading up to the Super Bowl, doing shows. So we will talk a lot about the game. But my first, my first impression is that I think that the Chiefs, their offense and their side of the ball has a much higher floor than San Francisco's in this game, just because the Niners' defense is shown to be imperfect um and Patrick Mahomes has shown that he is basically a perfect quarterback uh and just what that offense um the level that it has risen to even with its imperfections against Baltimore which is much better defense than San Francisco's feel pretty decent that the Chiefs aren't going to score 10 points in this game and I don't think the Niners are going to score 10 points either but I think the Niners have a lower floor than the Chiefs just because Purdy is so um can can be so erratic but I also think that the Niners have a high ceiling on offense just because they have better players um, and they've been the much better <laughs> offense all season. They're more explosive. And so I think that this basically comes down to, in terms of an opinion on this game, is how confident you are in the Niners reaching their ceiling because I feel mm-hmm. pretty confident the Chiefs are going to deliver an 8 out of 10 performance on offense or thereabouts. Uh, I think that it's going to be Difficult for them to put up 37 just with the type of personnel that they have surrounding Mahomes. But uh, I feel pretty, I feel like you can just pencil in Mahomes in this game for like 0. 0.25, 0. 0.24 EPA, something yes, like that. Sure. And Purdy, who was, I think, 0. 0.33 during the season or thereabouts, like if he, and that's, no, they had the best offensive football. If they play like the best offensive football, they'll probably win this game. But that to me is the, turning point is just how how explosive is this Niners offense going to be and, and what version of Purdy do we get? So uh, I got to ask you then, this begs the question, one of the, I think, most talked about and I, I guess like the zeitgeist will focus on how, how, did the, how did the Chiefs defense do this, Jay? How did they do this? Like they shut down a, the MVP. And Lamar Jackson, right? Like some people will default to the lowest common denominator take, which is wrong, and blame Lamar Jackson, right? But other people will be like, look, it was the coverage was superlative. Like, how many dropbacks did Lamar Jackson have no options because everything was very well covered? I think most <laughs> dropbacks in that game. And if the Chiefs' coverage is that good, against the Niners, you know, you know, their weapons in the offensive skill position game. And this really does come down to what does Christian McCaffrey do on the ground? We have evidence that uh, Kyle Shanahan, right or wrong, probably wrong, wanted to test the Lions on the ground early in this game and see if he could break them with uh, just, uh, just a straightforward rushing attack. Um, that same sort of philosophy probably would work against the Chiefs. Uh, and uh, so I'm kind of starting to get around to this idea of like, 
I don't know that the passing attack for the Niners is going to be broadly successful. I think the rushing attack for the Niners is going to have themselves a day. And if that's what they tack into to start the game, then you're probably talking about Niners generating an early lead. And then this game turns into a lot of what we saw last year where the shoe is on Pat Mahomes to come back in the second half. And against this Niners defense, is he capable of doing that? Absolutely. Like, no question, yes. Like, this Niners defense is not good enough to put Mahomes in a bottle. Um, so, I think uh, I think we're in for a pretty competitive and a very compelling Super Bowl, uh, and I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. To me, one big thing is just, like, the Nick Bosa and Chase Young and co., they're not going to have to go up against Taylor Decker and Panay Sewell. Um, they're going to be going up against the kind of fading Donovan Smith and Juwan Taylor, and I think that that... Is just going to make the Niners' defense look a lot better. Also, the Chiefs, they average 4.4 yards per play against the Ravens. The Ravens averaged 5.9 yards per play. Like, the Chiefs weren't able to move the ball outside of that stretch. And I also think that, yes, their coverage was great against Baltimore. I think it's probably inarguable that the Niners' four best skill possession weapons are better than any (laughs) of Baltimore's. And also, probably, you could argue as well that the Niners' four best skill position players are better than anyone on Buffalo as well with how Stefan Diggs has fallen off. And so I think this is a new, yeah, it is a new level of test. And I still just can't shake that, like, the Chiefs got, like, eviscerated at home in a game they were trying to win against the Raiders, like, not that long ago. I just don't think this offense is this lights-out explosive unit. And today somewhat reinforce that but um but yeah but Mahomes is is terrifying and he's the best quarterback I think probably ever uh, okay. and Brock Purdy has some serious question marks and that'll be that'll be everyone's pushback and that'll be the guiding kind of principle in all the discourse is that uh, I'm going to take Patrick Mahomes against Brock Purdy um and I can't necessarily talk people out of that I just don't think it's going to be I think the Niners are going to look better than they looked against Detroit and I think that the Chiefs didn't actually look that great against Baltimore, whereas I think people might kind of convince themselves that they did. I, I agree with that 100%. So then as you look at this market right now, uh, back against the wall, will we see Niners plus money? Uh, I don't think so. I think there is a good chance this just ends up at pick, which is basically what the Super Bowl last year was, really, where that was bouncing around one pick. And I think this is going to be the same thing where I just I, I can't, don't think the Niners are going to be dogs, but uh, I could see it getting to pick. Okay. And uh, total, if you want the over, weight or 47? Or do you think this uh, stays at 47 and a half and or goes up? I think there's some scope for it to go over. I would bet on it going towards 48 before I bet on it going to, to, towards 47. Uh, I think that... The dome um, is obviously significant, um, significant most of all for Purdy, given that he is the quarterback who's much more likely to be influenced by the elements. Um, so, yeah, I thought when it opened, I thought that was that was a touch low. What do you think? It is worth noting that uh, Mahomes plays, he's played three times so far in this stadium, uh, and Purdy has yet to kind of make himself he played in it. 
He played in the last year, right? At the end of the season, they played the Raiders. I had a lot oh, of that's right. Jared did him almost uh, burnt me alive. <laughs> that's um, that's Cody was, memory. Great Cody memory. Very shaky in that game, but uh, yes, he's a man, kind of. Hey, um, is, is, hey, one at least is having one is better than having zero. That's all I was getting at. Um, so yeah, no, there's there's uh, there's scope I think for both of these quarterbacks to have themselves some success um, and. I don't know. I, I'm, I was asking you that because I'm looking at 47 and a half, which is juicy to the under. And I was like, ooh, wait, are we going to get an over 47 shot here? Um, because I kind of do feel like your your points are are, are broadly correct and fair, um, where the skill position group for the, uh, the 49ers uh, across the board is um, better at one, two, three, and four relative to the Niners. And so... Yes, congratulations for the Chiefs looking amazing against the um, you know the Ravens on the road. But uh, now let's go neutral and defend Ayuk and Samuel and Kittle and company. So it, it, it's it's a very tough ask. My my big concern with San Francisco would just be that with how bad Purdy looked against a you know quote unquote confusing defense in Baltimore and what they schemed up, and now you get Spagnolo and his exotic blitzes feel better about Purdy and admittedly he played very poorly against Cleveland but it was in the rain and he was missing a lot of guys I feel better about Purdy in a defense like Jim Schwartz's which basically just like here we're going to do the same thing every play it's just we're really good at it um but just the confusion element with Purdy I think can possibly shake him which makes me a bit nervous um as someone who is on the Niners um in the futures market Last thing before we move to uh, to Yannick Sinner. Um, just looking at these Super Bowl MVP prices, we'll talk about this throughout the week, but I don't think Debo Samuel can be 55 to 1 to win Super Bowl MVP. <laughs> that is a really big price for a guy who might be like on talent, like the fifth best wide receiver in football or something. That And also I like him too because because of some of at least some rushing scope, at least differentiates himself from Purdy's stats in that he can accumulate with that equity also going to Purdy at the same time. So that would be my first look in that market. Like Debo can't be 55 to 1. Anyway, we'll talk about that still the week. <laughs> All right, stream back-to-back Big Ten basketball games on Wednesday night. Indiana starts the party at 6.30 Eastern when the Lady Hoosiers take on Maryland in College Park. Then in the nightcap, Caitlin Clark and Iowa hit the road for a date with Northwestern at 8 p.m. Watch both conference showdowns exclusively on Peacock. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Go for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this! How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. Dear listener, please close your eyes for this movie theater meditation brought to you by Fantango. Breathe in. Smell the fresh popcorn. Now exhale. (sighs) Open your eyes and proceed to the best seats in the house you reserved on Fandango. Recline. Now, download the free Fandango app for movie times, tickets, and seats at your favorite theaters. Fandango. It's your ticket to the movies. All right, wrapping up the Australian Open. Uh, clutch performance from Yannick Sinner. 
put his big boy pants on uh, and <laughs> really the whole for me um, just watching this very early uh, with my one and a half year old daughter who didn't have a great deal of interest um, in the match to be fair but um, <laughs> I, just, I mean to me the whole match was just that he gets those break points in the third and fourth sets and he's just he just plays them well and that's it and I think back to the quarterfinal in the US Open against Alcaraz um, a while back at this point where those points he just didn't win and he was tight and he was tight when he was serving it out from 30 love. He got real tight those two points but then found himself and I thought it was it was a good crowning moment that on match point 40-30 played the point aggressive went for a good and sensible winner and just nailed it um, to Medvedev's backhand court. So good on Yannick Sinner. Uh, what did you make of that? And uh, what do you make of the tennis scene as we look ahead to the French Open? So, uh, yeah, I was saving this. Uh, I haven't watched it yet. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> Sinner wins? <laughs> I'm kidding. I was, I'm kidding. I was up from 1230 in the morning Pacific through five in the morning Pacific on the absolute edge of my seat because that was an that was an epic, epic, epic match. And when I, I, I don't use this phraseology in hyperbole, right? I'm not being hyperbolic here, okay? Like it is very very important for men's tennis to have Sinner having won this tournament after uh, Alcaraz won Wimbledon. Like, we are now entering the next stage of just phenomenal competition between just you all universe talents. It is so cool, so fun, and I feel sad for Medvedev a tiny amount. I feel amazing for all of us who won on center a better amount, but like it, it sucked that that Medvedev had to be uh, the you know the the loser here. But like, like don't don't like don't don't mistake what happened. Right, Sinner took care of business this entire fortnight. He was clinical. He was amazing. He dispatched Djokovic, the who owns that court. He dispatched him cleanly. Like he realistically should have won in straights. And he took care of business, and Medvedev fiddle fooled around for his Rusevori match, his match against Borjos. He should have that should have been straight sets. He definitely shouldn't have gone three sets against um, uh, Hercatch in the uh, quarters, and and he had to you know dig deep to get past Zverev. Thankfully, he got past Zverev. We did not. We do not want to be recapping <laughs> an Alexander Zverev uh, Aussie Open uh, Championship. Believe me. Um, so it was. It was all for the best. Um, and he was. He was completely out of gas. He played more tennis in a Grand Slam final than any human has ever played in the two weeks running up to it. Like it was. He played twenty four hours of tennis. Like it literally. Like he ran six marathons and then had to try to run another marathon like that's hard it's really really hard and sinner literally like he could have capitulated like medvedev came into that match i thought with the perfect strategy i was talking to some of our friends and i was like look man if i'm if i'm medvedev's team i'm literally like we go blitzkrieg out of the gate and we just try to get sinner to be like well it's not this is my today's not the day like get him to quit and he blitzkrieged him perfectly. He was dominant through the first 
set and up to five one, and then there was a wobble. And Sinner saw the wobble. He caught wind of it. He broke back. He held serve. He got confidence, and he was like, "Okay, like I just have to stay this course, and I will have opportunities at the end of the third that I have to take take advantage of." He did it clinically. He got to the end of the fourth. I have an advantage. I have to take advantage of it clinically. Bang! Like he, like Sinner is just he's clinical. That is the the classical word to describe the way he plays tennis. It was phenomenal to watch. It was incredible to be a part of. Uh, and I was uh, just like, once you got to the fifth set, you're like, it's, it's over. Medvedev knew it was over. Sinner knew it was over. It was just like kind of inevitable how it went down. It was, um, you know, it was fun to to see and be a part of. And um, very very happy that Sinner got that home because now we have a true passing of the torch from the previous generation to the next generation and we get to see Sinner and Alcaraz fight it out and figure out who is the best on each surface over the next 10 years and I am absolutely delighted this was the best possible outcome and I cannot even express it to you how huge it is that there was a clean passing of the torch uh, from Djokovic to the next gen so um, hat tip to Djokovic for the most historic run we've ever seen in tennis, the most dominant run on any given surface, which was specifically that Melbourne court. And, uh, you know, best of luck uh, getting one more before you hang it up. But uh, I think uh, we have literally crossed paths here where Djokovic is on his way down, Sinner and Alcaraz are on their way up, and, uh, you know, the the rest is going to be history. Yeah, it's interesting pricing and fatigue um, in tennis because there has to be you know, beyond you know, what you, you can quantify in terms of its effect and that impacts pricing, but just the mental aspect, which is less quantifiable of, you know, Sinner being two sets to love down, it felt less dire because of Medvedev's rest situation, where if you felt yes. that, you know, if you just get the third set, then all of a sudden it is seriously game on. And it did, like, it felt like, towards the back end of the fourth set and the entire fifth set that Medvedev was just hanging on and it felt like he was going to need, you know, a minor miracle to pull it out, which it looked like for a second Sinner might gift him in that final game, but um, to his credit. To me, Sinner, the way he moves on the court because he's like 6'2", 165, looks like a, like a giant praying mantis, like the way that he crashes <laughs> down and he unleashes it. Um, yeah. I always thought the best way to describe... Um, Roger Federer's forehand was that he had a liquid whip, um, which kind of perfectly encapsulates just the kind of visual phenomenon of watching Federer. And to me, Sinner is very insect-like, but um, in a kind of (laughs) engaging way. He's uh, he was yeah he was magnificent and um, come full circle since. Hey, uh, your your one year old got to see history, man. Like honestly, like like I will forever remember Sinner winning his first slam. Yeah, period. period, period. There will probably be more to come. All right, well, we'll talk more tennis uh, throughout the week and certainly ramp it up as we get closer to the French Open. We'll talk about it more before then too, but we're done for now. Uh, Quite an evening, Drew. I still feel (laughs) the heart rate is still beating uh, someone who, uh, yeah, in a way I'm sad we went in the same boat, but I I just needed the win. Just just advance San Francisco, and that to me, it felt felt done. Even at 24-10 when they got the ball back, I still thought it was done, Uh, and they needed the ridiculous IU play. And then Jimmy Gibbs to fumble because of the bad handoff uh, because they got confused. But, uh, yeah, epic. Epic 24 hours. Uh, is there is there something there? 
right? Having staved off death, right? Like you save mesh point, <laughs> you move into you move into the next round. Like to you're me, a little invincible. Like are we are we are we there with the Niners? To me, the best example of that was the Saints back in was it 2009 when they really should have lost at home to the Vikings in the NFC title game, and then five throws <laughs> oh, oh, body. Yes, and yeah. then. Everyone's like, oh, the Saints team isn't that good. Oh, Peyton Manning comes in. Peyton Manning. Well, the Colts like five and a half point favorites in that Super Bowl. And uh, Manning six, was yeah, six. Manning was coming off just completely I think completely destroying the Jets in like his his masterpiece. Where I think the I want to say the Colts were down like 17-6 to the Jets in the AFC title game, the Rex Ryan, Mark Sanchez Jets. And then Manning just eviscerated them. And then it was two weeks of just this glorification <laughs> of Peyton Manning. Uh, and then the Saints, they get them in the Super Bowl. And look, I think, frankly, it's weird to say this, but I think Mahomes is at a different level to Peyton Manning, frankly. frankly. Uh, <laughs> he's, no Peyton, he's no Peyton Manning. <laughs> but uh, I think it's going to be a, a similar dynamic, though. To be fair, I took that same Saints um, feeling of having saved match point and then going on to win into uh, the 2011 grand final where my beloved Collingwood Magpies were down 17 points at three-quarter time against Hawthorne, came back, win the prelim, uh, and then lost uh, in the grand mm. final agonizing fashion. But mm. doesn't always work out that way. Hopefully, uh, for me at least, uh, it does this time and the Niners can pull it off. So you, you never go into a Mahomes matchup with any semblance of confidence. Mm. You just hope that the breaks uh, no. and the bounces go your way. No. He doesn't, right. And he doesn't have like a broadly injured offensive line this time, <laughs> which is the only Super Bowl we've seen him lose. Uh, and by the way, credit to you. Uh, you're correct. Uh, the uh, Colts closed four and a half point favorites. And you were also correct. The Colts were down uh, 17 to six before coming back and winning 30 to 17 against the Jets in the FC Championship game. There you go. All right. Come on, Brock. Just give us one. Give us one MVP award for the season. All right. Don't forget to check out NBCSports.com for more information to help you with your wages. Thanks to those of you watching on the NBC Sports YouTube channel. If you're listening to us in podcast form, don't forget to rate and subscribe. And also a reminder to find all your favorite NBC Sports shows on Amazon Music. Just head to Amazon.com slash NBC Sports. From Jay Croucher and Drew Dinsick, we'll see you tomorrow.